Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So a few weeks ago, we started this series on testing supernatural uh, phenomenon, supernatural ministries, uh, supernatural occurrences, uh, because as spirit-filled believers, we know that there is a supernatural life, not to be confused with what the world re- uh, regards as supernatural as, you know, uh, things that go bump in the night, you know, and voices in the house and all that kind of stuff. In other words, supernatural just means beyond the natural. And, uh, and because God is, is a real person and he's alive and he's real, then we ought to expect him to demonstrate and manifest himself. And we can expect and do expect things beyond the ordinary. And so, uh, uh, both the old and new Testament shows that God interacts with his people through signs, wonders, miracles, all sorts of uh, supernatural things. And as spirit-filled believers in, in this dispensation, in the church age, we certainly uh, have a right to expect that thing, expect those things. But at the same time, we have to be aware that there's a lot of counterfeit in the world. And so uh, that's what we're really preparing ourselves and guarding ourselves against. And so I really started talking about my, my, my purpose initially was not to talk about apostles, though I spent a lot of time on that. My, my intention was to lay the foundation for uh, or building the case for testing spiritual things. And we know over in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but try or test the spirits to see if they are, are of God. Well, it's not talking about you know, testing spirit creatures, you know, as spirits in that sense, because the next verse he says, for there are many false prophets uh, who've gone out into the world. So it's talking about testing spiritual things, spiritual phenomenon. Anytime someone says, well, the Lord said this or, or God did that or the other, well, uh, we, need to, we need to know, does it fit scriptural perimeters? Is it, is it in line with the word of God? Because there are a lot of voices out there. And because the church today lives in, in a digital world, everyone has access to everything. And so uh, we need to be uh, cautious. We need to be open to the Spirit of God, not deny anything in the Word of God. But at the same time, I, th- I think last week I made, I made the statement we need to use our heads when it comes to spiritual phenomenon. Now, that might sound like that's... that's uh, in you know different or, or opposite of me telling you so often you know don't judge things in the natural you know judge things in the spirit look to the spirit but the Bible talks about being spiritually minded and if you're spiritually minded your natural mind will pick up some things and learn how to to judge things because it seems that that spirit filled Christians. Uh, have sometimes in some quarters, I can say it that way, uh, are gullible. They're just open to anything and we don't need to be. And if we would just be spiritually minded, have our minds educated with the word of God, there are a lot of things that just don't pass the smell test. You know, when, when it comes to manifestations or words or ministries or whatever. So uh, we talked about that. So we talked about apostles. And, and so, I, uh, you know, I, I, it occurred to me that if we're going to talk about 
the fact that there are false apostles and they have to be judged. And we need to know what a, a true apostle is. You know, the best uh, remedy for error is truth. The best way to not fall for something that's false is to know what's true in that, in that category. And so we talked about that. And then, you know, it occurred to me that, that uh, there are not only a lot of false apostles, there are a lot of false prophets in the world. And so tonight I wanted to uh, explore this a little bit because uh, we need to be aware of what the Bible says about the office of the prophet, its scriptural uh, place, its history, how it functions, how it doesn't function, and some things to look out for, amen? Because this all ties into the whole uh, concept of spiritual manifestations and judging things, Amen. So um, uh, very often when people get into error in the area of prophets, now let me, let me say this, uh, I came up in, a, in a, a culture, a church culture, a denomination that in the early days of our particular denomination I was raised in, uh, the, the elders and the old timers, they believed in apostles and prophets. But by the time the 1950s and 1960s come, come along, came along, that was all kind of dismissed as fanatical and, you know, raise your eyebrow, talk about prophet so-and-so or apostle so-and-so. You get all these looks like, oh, brother, he's crazy. Uh, but, you know, God, the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, it says God has set these in the church. First apostles, yeah, but that passed away. It doesn't say it passed away. There's no indication it passed away. He said apostles, secondarily prophets, at third teachers after that, and he lists different ministry offices. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, not spiritual gifts. In this particular passage, it's talking about ministry gifts. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the stature of the fullness of of Christ. Well, uh, that's an ongoing process. That didn't happen just at the end of the first century, the second century, the third century. We are still being built up. We are still coming to a place of maturity as a body of Christ. So these ministry gifts were never taken away just because people stopped recognizing them, people stopped hungering for them, people started adding what happened in the, in the early centuries after the, you know, the second century on, people started adding a lot, tradition, uh, to, uh, to what was believed and to doctrine and dogma and so, and so forth. And so a lot of things just, people weren't believing and people weren't receiving. So a lot of things fell by the wayside. Well, church historians say, well, that's, that's proof that these things uh, passed away. In other words, God withdrew them. No, God didn't withdraw them. God's the same. So I said that to say this, there are apostles and prophets in the body of Christ today. But uh, where people get into error a lot of time, people, people who believe in prophets, they, they look at the Old Testament and they think prophets today are going to be like the prophets of the Old Testament. But there's a lot of difference. The New Testament prophet doesn't have the same status that the Old Testament prophet had. And there are reasons for that. Uh, In the Old Testament, no one had the Holy Spirit within them because no one was born again. Moses, Abraham, 
all of them were spiritually dead men in the sense that, that their spirits uh, were not alive unto God because by one man centered, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death, is talking about spiritual death, passed upon all men because all have sinned. So all of these men, uh, uh, were men and women were spiritually dead. That is, they were not born again. So the Holy Spirit could not live on the inside of them. So nobody in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit within them. Now, certain ones uh, had the Holy Spirit upon them. The prophet, the priest, and the king were the three uh, offices that, uh, that the Holy Spirit came upon men to anoint them to stand in that office. And so, uh, again, the prophet... Uh, was the preaching office and then the priest and the king, they had God's spirit upon them, but even they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. Uh, Of course, in the New Testament, uh, we, every born-again believer, has the Holy Spirit on the inside. We're indwelt. He lives in us. And in the Old Testament, because the Holy Spirit wasn't in anybody and he was only on certain people, now there there was a... uh, 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 another uh, uh, type of, uh, or another time when the Holy Spirit would come upon people. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon particular individuals who weren't prophets, priests, or kings for a particular purpose. If you, if you remember when the tabernacle or the temple was being built and they had to, to fashion all of the, uh, uh, all of the uh, you know, the construction of it and all of the implements of it. It says, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit anointed them to be crafty and to work with their hands. Well, that was the Holy Spirit coming upon a craftsman for the purpose of doing something for God. Other people were anointed like Gideon, you know, he was anointed. The Midianites kept, kept raiding Israel. And so the Spirit of God came upon Gideon to be a deliverer, but he really wasn't a prophet or a priest or a king. He was just an individual that God anointed for a particular task. And, and when that would happen, when the task was finished, the anointing would leave. And again, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. And that's why Gideon, though he was anointed of the Holy Ghost, when he wanted to, to get direction, he, you know, he put out a fleece because he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. Today, like I said, believers are indwelt by the Spirit. And so every believer is to be led by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's a big difference from the Old Testament because nobody... Uh, really had that ability unless, you know, unless God spoke through the prophet, uh, no one heard from God. That was, that was how people heard from God. So very often people would seek the prophet, seek out a prophet when they had, they had need of direction for some area of their life. Now they didn't need that that often because the law detailed every stinking aspect of life from the time you opened your eyes in the morning till the time you went to bed. It was all laid out. You do this, you do this, you don't do that, you do this. Make this sacrifice, you wear this, you act this way. So uh, people were pretty much regulated in the Old Testament. But when somebody needed direction uh, from God, they very often would go to the prophet and seek the word of the Lord. Well, uh, Like I said today, God expects each of us to be led by the Holy Spirit for ourselves. Amen. 
Now, uh, today, very seldom does God lead his children today through what I call fleshly uh, means, operating in the, in the natural realm to, to influence or to uh, lead someone through circumstances. I'm not saying that it never happens. I'm saying that's not how he leads. He doesn't lead in the natural, leads by the spirit. But some people, because of their just overwhelming insensitivity to the Holy Spirit, sometimes just because that's the only way certain people, because they're just so insensitive to the Holy Spirit, it's the only way they're going to hear, God will sometimes move in that realm. It's not his will, and it's not something we should, we should be depending on or planning our life on, because he's ordinarily not going to do it. And if you're waiting for God to show you some kind of a natural sign, you know, some, uh, some, something in the natural realm that would make you, you know, that would be an unusual happening so that you could discern the will of God, you're going to miss the will of God for, for 99% of your life. God doesn't ordinarily lead that way. Amen? Uh, the second thing that's different about the New Testament prophet is the Old Testament prophet was the only office uh, for preaching and teaching the word of God. Now, the, the priest and the Levites, they would teach the people about the law and about ceremony and how to offer the sacrifices and that sort of thing. But as far as preaching and teaching uh, the word of God by the inspiration of the spirit, the prophet was the only preacher. He, that's what prophets were. They, if you go through the Old Testament and read, the prophets were constantly preaching to people, calling Israel back to repentance, trying to stir them up. They were the preachers of the word of God. And it was the only office uh, like that. Uh, like I said, the, the priests and the Levites and, and so forth, they would teach, but they were sort of like today in the body of Christ, we have Sunday school teachers and we have laymen that can teach in the, teach in the church and the book of Romans in, in uh, the 12th chapter of Romans talks about those ministries, you know, teaching and exor- ex- uh, exhortation and that sort of thing. That's not the same thing as someone that's called to give the word of God to the church. Today, instead of a single preaching office, we have five preaching offices. We have the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And so uh, for giving giving, uh, direction through the word, not direction for individual lives and individuals' decisions, but giving directions from the word of God to the church, uh, we have the fivefold ministry today. And... uh, you know, when it comes to speaking by inspired utterance, the prophet was the only one that spoke by inspired utterance. Well, today, any believer can speak by divine utterance. When you're speaking in tongues, that is supernatural divine utterance. And so the Bible says that you can all prophesy. You couldn't do that in the Old Testament. Only, a, only the prophet prophesied. And of course, David, you know, he was, he was prophet, priest, and king. But uh, today we have the fivefold ministry and everyone can prophesy, not just the prophets. Amen. So God did not put New Testament prophets in the church to guide believers. Believers are to be led by the Holy Spirit through the word for themselves. It is unscriptural today to seek guidance through prophets, though there are prophets. It's, but there's, there's a tendency to want to do that. 
if you are familiar with prophets or if you are fortunate enough to know a prophet, it's awfully tempting to, to ask, you know, Dad Hagen, what do you think about this? And what do you think I ought to do? And you've heard me tell the story. A friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, Charles Cowan, he said that uh, when he was at Rama back in, in, in the first class at Rama, they've graduated how many graduates now? Does anybody know? Like 50,000 or something? Uh, but in that first, very first year in 1974, and graduated, first graduating class was in 75, it was 58 students that made it through the whole year. Some dropped out, you know, so they graduated 58. Well, the class was small, and Brother Hagen was there, and he could, he taught most of the classes himself, and, and they could talk to him. And so, uh, Brother Calvin, you know, he, he had never pastored before, and but he's studying for ministry. And so he met someone or heard from someone who had a church that was looking for a pastor, and they contacted him to see if he was interested in pastoring the church while he was attending Ramah. Now, the church was far enough away. It wasn't in Tulsa. It was, you know, not too far away in a nearby town, but far enough that he would have to go over there and stay. So he, the plan was that he would attend Rhema classes during the week, and on the weekends, he would travel, you know, 60 miles or whatever it was to this town, and he would preach on Sunday, and he would be their pastor. So that was, the, uh, that was, their, pro- that was their proposition. So uh, uh, he's going to pray about it. So he's praying and seeking the Lord. And so one day he asked Brother Hagin. He said, I, I, you know, I've been praying about this. Well, let me just see what Brother Hagin thinks. So Brother Hagin, he explained the situation to him, and he said, do you think I ought to take that church or not? He said, Brother Hagin looked at him like with this look of like, you're an idiot. He didn't say it, but he just said, how in the world should I know? And this Toronto walked off and left Charles just standing there feeling like an idiot, you know. Because what Brother Hagin was teaching is that he's a prophet, but he doesn't get direction for individual people's lives. But it's awfully easy, and a lot of people fall into that trap, and a lot of I don't, I don't want to call them prophets, so-called prophets. There are a lot of so-called prophets. There are a lot of self-identified uh, uh, and self-proclaimed prophets in the body of Christ. There are not a few, church. There are a lot of them. And they like that. They like people coming to them. And, uh, and it's unscriptural. Amen. Now, sometimes God will confirm a leading that he's given a believer through a prophet uh, in the the sense you might be in a service and, and you you know, you've been praying about something and you've got a leading in your spirit. God leads us by the inward witness. And when you have a leading in your spirit, sometimes, uh, doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I've had it happen to me. I've I've had Dad Hagen call me out, minister to me, and confirm what I already knew in my heart. You say, well, why does God do that? I don't know. Do you have to have it? No, because most of the time you don't have it. Uh, But sometimes God sees fit. But again, Brother Hagin wasn't leading me. He just gave me a word that confirmed what I already knew in my heart. So uh, there are three uh, primary ways the Holy Spirit leads all of his children, and I know this, is, this is, uh, is well known. First of all, he leads us by the inward witness. The number one way, above all other ways, is by that inward witness in our spirit, and that simply is 
uh, is detected by your this this way. You're praying about something, and you don't know whether you know A or B, this way or that way. Do this or do that. And as you pray about it, just on the inside there will be a uh, a witness of the spirit. What does that mean? A a sense, not a feeling, not a physical thing, but just an inclination, an intuition that, you know, the, the rabbit's behind, you know, is under hat number one, you know, on the left or something. You know, in other words, you have the sense that that's the right way to go. And, uh, and the more you think about doing that, the, the better it seems. But then you start looking over at option B, you know, there's just something on the inside that's just not right. But in your mind, B might, be, might look very good. But when you actually start to, to move in that direction, you get a check or a hesitancy, something in your spirit's kind of scratching you. That's the inward witness. That's the, that's the predominant way he leads. Now, you know, you could wish that it would be more spectacular. There have been times when I wished it was more spectacular. There have been times when I said, God, you got to give me more. But he didn't because he leads primarily by the inward witness. Even in the most serious things in life, it's not like it's not like the primary witness or the inward witness is for is for little things and God steps it up, you know, the more consequential, you know, the decision is. That's just not true. He intends that we learn to be led by the Spirit, by the inward witness. Secondly, and close to that, is similar to that, is the inward voice. And the inward voice isn't the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know, echoing, you know, in your ears. It's just Instead of, of a witness of the Spirit, sometimes words will come up. Not, I'm not talking about a paragraph. I'm talking about just a, a few words you'll hear. Many times I'll ask the Lord, you know, should I do that? And on the inside, I'll hear, yes, absolutely you should do that. I just, and it's not, it's not, it's not earth-shattering or, you know, doesn't, you know, make me want to light a candle or anything. You know, it's just, I just, on the inside of me, I just hear these, yeah, yes, you're supposed to do that. Well, that's the inward voice. It's very sim- similar to the inward witness. The third way, and not nearly as often, uh, is he will lead us by that authoritative voice of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks, in, in, and when he speaks, it, you know, it'll stop you in your tracks. Yeah. You, you're not going to continue to, you're not going to, continue to eat that sandwich with the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's going to stop you. You're going to put that sandwich down because God has spoken. It's very sacred. It's very powerful. And there's no denying. Now, if people are around you, they won't hear it because it's not out here in the natural realm. But on the inside, it's a very authoritative word. That doesn't come that often. I know that by experience, and I know that by uh, Brother Hagin's teaching. He, he said that, you know, even in his life, that in, in leading for himself, he said that, that the Lord taught him that even the prophet has to be led by the inward witness. The prophetic ministry that he had was always for other people. But in his own life, in his finances, family, even in... in ministry planning and answering, you know, questions about the next phase of ministry and all of that. How do you do things? That would be by the inward witness. It's the number one way. It's the inward witness followed by the inward voice. And, uh, and, and Brother Hagin said, even in his own life, there weren't 
It's not that many times where he's, he's had the Holy Spirit in that authoritative voice speak to him about his own life. Now, concerning other people, because he stood in the office of the prophet, that would happen more often. But uh, most of us are not uh, in that category. Then, very, very rarely, God may occasionally lead, occasionally lead, occasionally lead someone by a spiritual vision, a dream, or a revelation. I said very, very rarely. Uh, occasionally, he might. This is usually reserved for those in fivefold ministry, particularly and primarily prophets. But it could happen to an individual. But if you go through the New Testament and look at all the times God spoke to people through a dream or a vision uh, or an angelic appearance or something like that, if you go through and look at it, it was always about areas pertaining to the gospel. It had some connection to the furthering of the gospel. You never see people getting dreams. and Now, I know what the book of Acts says, that he will pour his spirit out upon all flesh and, and, and uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will dream dreams, your old men, young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I know that. But you, like I've said before, you have to go through the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible. Even though it says that's going to happen, we don't have the evidence of it happening very often. And when we do, we see God speaking through dreams and visions and such in order to further the gospel. It was something critical to the spreading of the gospel or to, to ministry or something along that line. You never see in the New Testament or in the Old Testament God giving dreams and visions concerning ordinary everyday life, natural life. You don't see God giving dreams and visions about even spiritual development, spiritual growth. We're all supposed to grow spiritually. And we have the necessary uh, equipment right here for growing spiritually, and that is the Word and the Spirit. We're all supposed to grow. And to grow spiritually, you have to be led by the Lord. You, have, you need further enlightenment. You need help to grow spiritually. And the Lord will help you. But you never see God granting dreams and visions even to help people grow spiritually because that's our own responsibility. So what I'm saying is uh, there's, there are people today who like to interpret dreams. Listen, everybody has dreams, I guess, some more than others. But I think everybody has dreams. God's not giving you dreams so that you will know how to care for your dog. Or do better on the job. Be a better Christian. That's what he gave you the word for. There was a lady uh, a number of years ago who she was always getting dreams and, and her dreams were always real symbolic. You know, they, they had strange imagery. Now, God does do that sometimes. Go with me over to uh, the book of Acts and let's look at the 10th chapter. The book of Acts. To begin with, 
when uh, verse 10 it says there was, there was a certain disciple, not a preacher, just a layman at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am. Notice how straightforward the Lord was in this vision. There's no denying. There's no, he didn't wake up and wonder, I wonder what that meant. The Lord said to him, arise, go to Main Street, go to 3rd Avenue, 2525 3rd Avenue. In other words, he told him exactly where to go. Go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he may receive his sight. Uh, that's, not the, that's not the passage I wanted to look at. Go. <laughs> what did I read? Nine? Yeah, yeah. I want, I want to read chapter 10. I, just, I got into that and realized that's not even what I wanted to read. But it was fun. <laughs> because we're going to talk about uh, uh, Ananias and, and, and the vision he had. But let's go to chapter 10, verse number nine. Uh, you know that uh, uh, the Lord sent Cornelius. And so while Cornelius is on his way, it says the next day, this is verse nine, Peter uh, went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Now, the interesting thing is here is Peter was waiting on lunch. He wasn't real spiritual. One time I was preaching years ago back in the early 80s, and I said, you know, they were, they were just making, he went up to eat, and they were getting a ham sandwich ready for, for Peter. And Angela was on the front row, and she said, he was a Jew. He wouldn't have been eating ham. So, okay. A turkey sandwich. <laughs> and he became very hungry. He was gnawing his fist hungry, wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened. Now, trance is, is the highest form of vision. He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I've never eaten a ham sandwich. I've never, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice said to him again a second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. That's very symbolic. I mean, that's a, that's a symbolism dream. What does it mean? But notice he, didn't, he, he, he wasn't lost for the interpretation very long. Very quickly, he knew exactly what it meant. It says, while Peter, verse 17, wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was Peter, was lodging there. So while Peter's thinking about this, the men from Cornelius' house have found his house, they've knocked on the door, found the place where Peter was staying. They've knocked on the door. They've inquired if Peter's there. They've been told, yes, he's here. Peter was on the roof, so he didn't hear all of this. He wasn't aware naturally. So while Peter thought about the vision, notice the spirit said to him, behold, 
three men are seeking you. Notice he didn't say a few men. He was very specific. Three men, not two, not five. Three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, Cornelius and said, Yes, I am whom you seek. Why are you here? He still didn't know why they had come, but the Spirit gave him what he needed. He said, go. And you know the rest of the story. He got to Cornelius' house. When he walked in, you know, there were all of these uh, Gentiles. And he began to preach the word of God to them. And while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And then he saw it. Don't call common what God has cleansed. So this is how, but this vision, even though it was symbolic, it, it was followed up by very specific understanding. He knew exactly what to do. He still didn't know what the vision meant, but he got some direction he could act on. And what was it all about? It wasn't about something in the natural. This was the opening of the door uh, of the gospel to the Gentiles. This was very important. So again, this, I had this lady, you know, and she was always getting dreams and visions. And she would, she would come to me and talk to me and, 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 and uh, tell me about these dreams. And then she would give me the interpretation as she saw it. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people come to their pastor. Now, you don't go to your pastor for direction. You're to be led by the Holy Spirit. But God does set pastors uh, in churches to oversee the flock. That's the job of the pastor. He's an overseer. So the job, job of the pastor is to oversee the congregation in its moving in the things of God. But the pastor isn't supposed to give direction. The pastor can give wisdom and counsel from experience and, and just being led of the Lord. When people come to me with questions uh, about things in their lives, I always point them to the word. I always try to get them talking and find out what is the spirit already saying to you. And I point people in that direction. However, some people they really aren't looking for counsel or wisdom as much as they're looking for uh, uh, approval and endorsement of what they already have decided. But they come to the pastor, pastor, say, Pastor, you know, I just wanted to, to get your opinion. Well, they really don't want my opinion. And it's not my job to tell people whether, it's not my job to tell people what to do or what not to do. But if somebody comes and their, their spiritual uh, logic, if you can say it that way, the way they're interpreting things is not scriptural. It is my job to tell them that. Universally, people are never happy when you tell them that because they've, I mean, it's, and, and I get it. I get it. It's a big deal to go to your pastor and tell them, you know, tell your pastor the secret of your heart and what God's been, that's a big deal. It's very vulnerable. I get it. But when you, just in the future, but you, when you come to your pastor, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you from the word of God, the way I see it. I'm not going to tell you yes or no, you should or shouldn't do that. But if you start giving a line of reasoning, that's not scriptural, I'm likely going to point that out. Well, you know, have you thought about this? Because I don't see that. And, and very often people will ask me, you know, do you think this is what I should do? But they've already made up their mind. And if I say, you know, I don't see it. 
almost 100 out of 100, we haven't had 100, but almost 100% of the time, they will leave the church if I disagree with their precious leading. I've had it happen over and over and over. This lady with all the dreams, and she would get these, these dreams of all of the symbolism, and then she would give the interpretation, this meant this and that. And I knew that's not the Holy Ghost. That's, that's imaginations. And uh, so, uh, you know, when she, when she I kept her talking long enough to find out that she started having these dreams when she was a child. Before she was saved. She wasn't even saved until she was, you know, an adult. But she had these dreams where she would have these, you know, vivid symbolism and all this stuff. So that wasn't coming from the Holy Spirit. Well, I told her she came a couple more times to church and, you know, uh, stay, stay rooted in the, keep your feet on the ground when it comes to spiritual things. Yes, we are spirit beings and God does move supernaturally, but at the same time, I have to go back to last week, use your head spiritually, be spiritually minded about these things and, uh, and don't be deceived. God's not given direction for you through dreams and visions about how you're to conduct your business and how you're supposed to treat people at work or what other people are supposed to do at work. And that's not, that's not how God works. There are three sources of dreams and visions. One is God, rarely. Number two is you, me, and often. I dream some of the craziest things. I mean, my dreams are like, they're strange happenings that aren't connected, you know. I'm, I'm sitting in, you know, of somebody's office, and the next thing I know, an alligator is nipping at my feet, and then... And, and, and then the phone rings and it's, and it's, you know, somebody from Dubai and those things, they don't even, I just, most of us get those dreams, don't we? They don't make any sense. There are people, I know there are people who interpret dreams. There are people who believe in, they have, they have this natural pursuit of interpreting dreams, their own dreams, and, and they're usually never satisfied with interpreting their dreams. They want to interpret others. But I, huh? Yeah, they keep journals of all their dreams, I guess. The thing is, uh, I, guess it's, I guess it's psychology. I guess there's an explanation to why we dream and maybe psychologically, you know, I was Tara here, and maybe psychologically, psychologically, they mean something. I'm not dismissing that. I don't know because I've never studied it, so I'm not ruling that out. But it's not God. Doesn't mean it's the devil. It's just not God. And and there are people who get really led astray and lead others astray with this business of interpreting dreams. Well, I. Got ahead of myself a little bit there. We're talking about prophets. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and it's 844. So we'll just leave that there. Praise the Lord. Amen. There are prophets. And thank God for the prophetic office. It's an awesome ministry, just like apostles. Uh, but uh, I'm going to say this. Don't follow after these uh, uh, yeah, these networks of prophets. 
the prophetic network, the apostolic network. If you go online, there are all of these so-called prophets. I'll get into this maybe next week. And they, and they have these organizations of prophets and apostles. Don't, don't fall for that. That is not of God. I'll give you scriptural reasons why it's not next week. In the Old Testament, there was something, I'll get ahead of myself a little bit, there was something called the school of the prophets. And so prophets needed to be trained. And so the, the, the more senior prophets would have schools of prophets for young prophets. That was the only ministry there was, the only preaching ministry there was. They had to have training. Today, I know when Brother Hagin started Rama, when the, the Lord first started dealing with him about it, he, he thought about having a school of the prophets. And the Lord stopped him and said, it's unscriptural to have a school of the prophets. It's scriptural in the New Testament to have a school of ministry because apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers all need the same basic training. And when you just have a school of the prophets, it, it, it lends itself to ministerial eliteness, uh, uh, this elite concept that prophets are you know, above everybody else or have to have certain mystique. Well, these networks of prophets uh, 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 advance the same kind of elitism. It's not scriptural. Uh, yes, everybody needs training in their office, but fundamentally, if you look at the teachings of, of Paul, he gave the, the qualifications and things that needed to be in place for someone to have the office of bishop, which is a pastor. Well, those qualifications apply to every minister across the board. Amen? So these networks and these... Uh, in, in Africa, it is so... In, in other uh, nations, you know, in other continents as well, I'm sure, but it is such a problem. And they get it from the United States and they take it to a, a, a three or four levels beyond that. There's so many apostles over there. When I hold my minister's conferences, you know, there'll be these, these apostles. I know I'm running over a minute here, but they'll have all these apostles and they're there with the pastors. My, my ministerial uh, conference over there is, is it, uh, aimed primarily at pastors, but anybody in fivefold ministry can come. And so other people come, but there's these, there are these apostles. And I have to be really careful because the apostles are over some of the churches that are supporting Christopher's crusade. And I'm there to help Christopher, not cause him any problems. So I have to be really careful what I say about these so-called apostles. They're not apostles. I said, there's all these apostles. No, they're not. They're not apostles. They're just misguided men. But uh, they dominate and control the churches. And I remember the last time we were there, we had a question and answer session. And, and, you know, after I taught on the local church, you know, from the teaching that's in my book, they even had some really good questions. And some of the questions were, you know, uh, Pastor Anderson, is it right for the apostles to take all of our money? Because the apostles, they, they live in a fancy house and drive a nice car. And, and us pastors, we barely have any food to eat. Is that right? Well, the apostles are sitting right there. And I'm, you know, I don't want to give Christopher any problem, but that's, that has to be answered. I said, no, that's not right for apostles to, to, to rake in everything and not have the pastors even be able to live a decent living. Of course, that's not right. So one question led to another. And... Uh, Fortunately, some of the questions I couldn't understand because the interpreter wasn't very good, and so I kind of got off. But I had to answer the ones I could answer, 
And it's a real problem. And, they, and all of that comes from the United States. Except that the United, believers in the United States are a little more informed biblically and don't fall for as much. But it's here, folks. It's here in America, big time, apostles and prophets, so-called apostles and prophets. And they are very often charlatans and misguided people who are out to control other people. Amen. So, so if you go online and, and, you know, and there's this network of apostles or prophets, don't, don't, don't follow them. True apostles and prophets don't operate that way. They don't. They, they don't bring attention to that aspect of their calling. They don't wear it on their sleeve. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.